If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet PlushCare, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, folks. Jim Ryan here. On this week's episode, we connect with Jason Hardrath, a teacher and adventurer who is on a mission to climb the 100 peaks on Washington's Bulger list this summer, in record time. We talked with Jason before he started the project, and he's since made good progress. You can follow along on jasonhardrath.com. All right, here's the show. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Peak Northwest, an outdoors and travel podcast by The Oregonian and Oregon Live, dedicated to the adventure and exploration of our beautiful Pacific Northwest. And I'm I'm Jim Ryan, and together we take you to some of the most beautiful and interesting destinations in our region, discussing where to go, what to do, and places to see. And Jamie, humor me for a second here. Do you remember what it felt like to return to school after the summer? You know, back when you were in grade school, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone's got their fresh clothes on. Some kids have that new (laughs) identity. They've grown like, you know, six inches. And I feel like you always had to have like a good story to tell from like, you know, your summer vacation. You got to come with a good story. You can't be that kid who's like, oh, I didn't do anything. I I didn't do anything. Played video games, hung out, didn't didn't do a, a single thing. Well, today, Jamie, on the show, we have a Klamath County teacher who's going to have a heck of a story to tell his students when he returns to school in the fall. So Jason Hardrath, a K-6 through PE teacher for the Klamath County School District, is on a mission to climb the 100 tallest peaks in Washington this summer, in record time, mind you. And Jason, you're here on the show to tell us all about it. Thanks for coming on, man. I'm super excited to be here. I, I love that you both made time for this. Uh, it's going to be a wild adventure, and I'm super stoked to have a cool story to tell my students. <laughs> it's going to be a heck of a story, no matter how it goes. Uh, good, great, of course, but it's going to be a story regardless. So first up, Jason, this isn't something that you can like decide to do off the couch. You know, you're a busy man. And, you know, I see you running, climbing, getting outside all the time. Tell us a bit about yourself and what you're into here. Oh, man, I I come from a background in running. Running was my first love. Uh, Fell in love with running clear back in middle school and kind of just chased. uh, My first goal was to break a six minute mile while while I was still in middle school. And then succeeding at that sort of solidified this mindset of just like, okay, what's the next thing? What's the next challenge? What's the next uh, achievement? Ran all through high school, managed to barely squeak onto an NAIA uh, college team. So ran all through there, then transitioned to cycling and after college and running marathons. That led to triathlons, uh, got into like Ironman triathlon, the ultra distance. 
Um, and that led into ultra running. Then I had a big car accident in 2015, mm. went out a car window, kind of put a hard period on my running for a while. Um, they weren't you know, even sure if I'd ever run again. And so I started rock climbing and hiking up and down hills and hills led to mountains and mountains led to bigger mountains. And pretty soon I was just falling in love with these big backcountry spaces and alpine spaces. And then through a lot of physical therapy and hard work, the running started to come back. And then I started to piece together these big peaks like, oh, what if I climb this and run over to that and then climb it too? And then I discovered fastest known times and that kind of you know, it's this world of chasing records in mountain spaces and wilderness spaces, trails, canyons. Fastestknowntime.com hosts all of these different styles of records that you could never host a race there, either because it's too risky, um, you could never get insurance for the race, or because it's in a wilderness area that you could never get a permit for a race. Um, but, you know, nowadays anybody has access to a camera that geo stamps your pictures like a cell phone and, uh, you know, can get a GPS watch. And so we're able to kind of run up against one another. And yeah, this is, I've been chasing a hundred different FKTs for quite a while now, uh, over two years. And this hundred peak effort is, uh, is going to be sort of a final exam, I guess. <laughs> yeah, Jason, you were telling us a little bit about this before we started, but so you're, you're basing this on this list called the, the Washington Bulgers, right? Which is the uh, hundred tallest peaks in Washington. That's a lot of peaks and in a lot of different places. And, um, you know, what are some pretty remote wilderness areas in Washington and you were saying your goal is not to get all 100, say, like, you know, over a lifetime or say, you know, in a number of years, but you're trying to do this just this summer. Correct. I mean, you know, uh, I'm not a professional athlete, so I can't just do things whenever I want. I have breaks as a teacher. I love my school district because I get I get a solid 10 days for spring break, solid 10 days for Thanksgiving break, a couple weeks off around Christmas, and then I get a, a pretty decent sized summer break. And the summer break is the only break long enough that there's even a chance of squeezing something, a, a project of this enormity in, into a single break. That's sort of the draw of it to me is that it's this giant question mark. Nobody's ever tried to do it before. Like, so there's this big question, like, can these peaks be climbed in one season? And I've had other mountaineers go, Huh, I actually have asked that question to myself. You know, not that they had any interest in trying themselves, but they're like, I wonder if anyone will ever climb them in one season. And I guess I'm the it's one. It's gonna be a heck of an experiment. experiment. And I'm curious, this is kind of a humongous thing to even sit here in my chair and wrap my head around. What has the planning been like to try to piece this together and uh put it on paper or in a spreadsheet or in your brain to kind of see what it's gonna take to pull it, pull this off? Oh man, so <laughs> so many so many conversations with uh, previous finishers who have ticked them off over their lifetime. Um, conversations with Eric Gilbertson, who currently has the the fastest known time for finishing all one hundred and four hundred and ten days. Conversations with uh, Alden uh, Grant Rhino. He's uh, on his ninety second, so he's almost done. So they're all fresh in his mind. He's been a huge help. Um, I built a, an entire map that's kind of a conglomeration of all of the different GPX data I was able to find for different ways people have approached these peaks and climbed these peaks. 
a ton of reading trip reports and looking at photos with the drawn in lines, the topos of which way to go up which mountain. So it's like everything you do to climb a single mountain to make sure you didn't go the wrong way and get yourself stuck and get yourself in trouble and that you could get yourself back down safely. But then trying to do that for 100 peaks ahead of time. And I've only ever climbed two of these peaks before. So 98 of them will be on-site climbs, just relying on my my previous like uh, you know route finding experience and on quality planning ahead of time. It's a big undertaking. It's super nerve wracking. And I don't know if you've <laughs> said yet here on the show, you're trying to do this in how many days? 50 days. It seems possible. It could go a little bit quicker. Um, there's that potential, but with Washington usually spitting out some very unfavorable mm-hmm. weather through June until July, it's pretty likely I'll I'll have some days where I just get shut down by weather. So that made the 50 day mark averaging two peaks per day. seems like a, a reasonable yet just hugely far reaching goal. So yeah, the, the goal is 100 mountains in 50 days. And like these, these aren't like for folks listening at home, this is, this isn't like dog mountain where you're climbing here, right? I mean, these are serious mountains. We're talking Mount Rainier, Mount Adams, Mount Baker, just for some reference, Mount St. Helens. I'm looking at this list. If you arrange it by, um, you know, top to bottom from highest to smallest, Mount St. Helens is number 92 on this list of peaks. So, I mean, these are, these are some seriously tall mountains here. Folks who maybe think like, you know, oh, hiking the top of Dog Mountain is tiring enough. That's just under 3,000 feet. And the shortest peak I'm seeing on this list is, you know, 8,320 feet. So, I mean, these are some seriously tall peaks that you're you're climbing here. You know, the nice part about a mountain like Rainier is you're going to, the trailhead, you're going to drive up to the trailhead at like five or 6,000 feet. So it's like you are still going up into that thin air and it's harder to move up there and you're on glaciated crevasse crevasse ridden terrain. So, you know, decision making is is of the essence, rescue skills are of the essence, but at least you're starting out, you know, 5000 feet up the mountain. Um with some of these peaks that are still 9000 feet tall, the trailhead you start from is going to be down near hardly above 1000 feet. So it's like even these shorter mountains, the amount of prominence to get up onto the ridge is going to be a big slog. There's a lot of these days that have in excess of 8,000, 10,000, 12,000 uh, feet of gain to go put these peaks uh, together. I don't know if the, the mic catches the whistle there, but uh, yeah, big, big efforts and back to back to back to back to back for you know, potentially 50 days. That is a lot of mountain climbing to further kind of give listeners a picture in their head of like what you're going to do. Can you describe some of the unique challenges or like what a day will look like for you doing this challenge here? Absolutely. Um, So some of the uniqueness, like, again, this is different than maybe people who have heard of the Colorado 14ers, Mm -hmm. where a lot of those you access right at the mountain to, you know, you drive up to a trailhead Uh, There's a trail taking you to the top of the mountain, or at least most of the way. And then you have a little bit of scrambling to get to the top. I'm going to get not all of the the 54 Colorado 14ers are that way, but um, quite a number of them. There are three mountains on this list of 100 that have trails to the top. All of the rest of them involve route finding, involve scrambling or full-on rock climbing, 
involve glacier travel with crevasses. It's not a casual jaunt by any means, not low consequence by any means. There's going to be use of rope skills. There's going to be use of uh, traditional rock climbing gear. There's going to be rappels and, and, and climbing skills involved, bushwhacking, uh, route finding, orienteering. It's a big undertaking in a great, great number of senses. And I think it's a little unfair to characterize the whole effort by naming just the volcanoes in the effort, even though they are some of the tallest. Um, in fact, they are all some of the tallest peaks um, in the list, you know, naming Rainier and naming Adams. However, you look up at those and it's like, oh, I could see how someone could like walk to the top of that. There's some of these peaks. If, if you go Google Tupshin or Hard Mocks or Bonanza or Dark Peak, uh, Dome, Sinister, there's these peaks. You, you look at them and you go, wait a minute, how does someone climb that? Mm-hmm. Um, because they're these craggy, rocky, alpine, just <laughs> towers mm-hmm. sticking up out of the ground. They're not just a, a dome-shaped feature on the horizon. And so it's it's going to be a very unique experience due to the types of mountains that that dot the landscape as well. Not to mention like boat rides just to access a bushwhack, you know, a day-long bushwhack to get to um, some of these peaks. <laughs> I mean, how do you prepare yourself to do this undertaking? I mean, physically, emotionally, uh, mentally, what does it take to get ready for this? So I definitely can't downplay, uh, you know, it, it, when you guys asked me to introduce myself a little bit, the years of background of forging a body that is, you know, fairly injury proof, you know, knock on wood, um, through, through just years of training. Um, I kind of have a disposition, I think from the, the family I come from my genetics, if you will, to be fairly resilient, not necessarily that high powered of an athlete. I'm never going to run the fastest time on, on the track in any event, but I seem to take a huge beating and be able to train large miles, large hours, large volume. And I'll hurt, I'll hurt just like anybody else, but none of it turns into a sort of catastrophic or mechanical injury that forces me to stop. I think that part's really important and I can't downplay it is there's a ton of training, a ton of uh, training my fingers and hands and arms to have the fitness to just make, you know, countless rock climbing moves over and over, um, you know, without fatiguing, tra- you know, running. Um, I've run in excess of a hundred miles in a week leading up to this. I've put in weeks with over 20,000 feet, um, 30,000 feet sometimes of uh, vertical gain leading up to this huge volume in the workouts, um, a lot slower than I've done in the past. Cause I used to race some ultras and I used to race some triathlons. And so there was a lot higher intensity that people might be used to who are listening that like running a lot more, just hiking as I've led up to this, a lot more picking steep inclines and doing repetitive climbs for, you know, 2000 vertical feet, just to prepare the body to just stay in zone one, a zone one heart rate where I can just keep moving and feel the same all day long, regardless of terrain. So that's been kind of the physical lead up is, is focusing less on, on speed or power um, other than, you know, climbing movements, Mm -hmm. a little different style. there, more of a focus on, on power and and strength as well as endurance with uh, the climbing movements, but with like the running and the, you know, leg fitness, definitely just long, slow moving. And on the mental side, 
there's quite a few philosophies out there. I, I tend to think my, my greatest instructors are my kindergartners. They come into their first semester of school just so excited to try anything, to be anywhere, to explore what's out there. And it's a reminder to me, like, you know, I think as adults, it's really easy for us to slip into this have to work mindset where we're just going to put in the grind and suffer through to get the end reward, you know, extrinsic, you know, some people might call it extrinsic motivation. Um, and our culture kind of primes us for that. Why, why do you do homework to get a good grade? Why do you go to work to get a paycheck? Right. There's always, you're always doing something to get something. But when you look at, you know, this intrinsic motivation mindset, this explorative playful mindset, it's like, no, there's, there's no exchange going on. Like you're just happy to be out there doing the thing. And that's something I'm constantly reminding myself of as I'm, I'm stepping into this big thing where, you know, people are wanting to talk to me about it and people are wanting to follow my story and da, 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 da. It's like, I'm still just going to go out and have this amazing time doing something I love, applying a skill set that I've loved since I was a kid, you know, basically out on one of the world's best playgrounds here in the Pacific mm -hmm. Northwest. And I, I'm just going to get to go out there and figure it out and play and solve problems and go like see sunrises and sunsets and, and walk through wild flora and fauna. And I get to go do that. And it's my real life. Like, I really get to go do that with my life, not watching it on some TV show. And so from that mindset of like being genuinely curious and like wanting to go play and see what's possible, I think that's huge when you're out there. I think a simple way to sum it up is to genuinely be able to feel like there's no place I'd rather be. That goes a lot further than say like a, like an angry type A mm -hmm. competitive, I'm just going to like grind through this and get to the end. I think that works in some shorter events. Like you can have powerful performances in, in some events by just like channeling your anger and going. Um, mm -hmm. but if you're going to go for 50 days straight, there's gotta be some other motivations. There's gotta be some, some, some other instinctual channels that you're operating on other than just anger or proving yourself or whatever. And like you said, be. I mean, there's no better playground than heading out in the Pacific Northwest to go climb presumably with friends and colleagues of yours throughout, uh, you know, an academic summer. Uh, what's not to love? Jason, we want to hear more about this and your efforts and how you're planning and what you're going to pull off here. But first, we're going to take a short break. All right, folks, we are back with Jason Hardrath, who is setting out this summer to climb the 100 tallest peaks in Washington, according to a historic list. And Jason, uh, we've you know been talking with you throughout the show here on how you're going to pull this off, what exactly you're doing, but we haven't mentioned who you're going to do this with. So uh, I know you don't have one partner set up for the entirety of your trip, but are you meeting up with other people or, or kind of what's the plan there? Uh, absolutely. I mean, great question. I've done a lot of my stuff in the past with these records, solo self-supported or solo unsupported, which is a, a technical classification within fastest known times, the FKTs I do. But that just felt wrong for this one. I mean, I do love that style. I love being out there in nature by myself. But due to this being a hundred peaks with a ton of driving in between, and it's a long time to be out there, 50 days, 
it felt kind of silly to just be like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to talk with anyone. I'm not going to invite anyone. And it seemed dangerous with the terrain. On top of that, when the Bulgers community, different members within these climbers who are either currently trying to finish the peaks or have already finished the peaks, when they were opening up, because mountaineers tend to be a little bit hesitant to open up because if you give too much information and a person isn't truly prepared, like they could get themselves in a bad situation and then you would end up feeling like you're the one that put them in that situation. So it took them a while to like warm up to me and open up. And one of the things that quickly started coming out from multiple people is they just lost uh, a young person, Jake, to a fall in a crevasse. And they were very hesitant at first to, to open up and start talking through because they had this perception in my mind, like, oh, this guy's just going to come in and he's going to try to solo these peaks and he might not know what he's doing. And, and I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this the right way. Yes, I'm going to try to be more efficient and do bigger linkups and bigger pushes than maybe anyone has yet. But I'm not going to forsake safety in order to do it for for speed. My dad's going to come out, even though you know he's not much of a hiker. He's going to come out and hang out at base camp and see his see his son going out and doing the stuff he loves most. Um, I've got different people. I've done. FKTs with in the past or who have wanted to do FKTs with me in the past or climb mountains with me who are coming out either to climb peaks or, or join just to, just to be out at base camp. It's making it almost a celebration where people who have wanted to be a part or who have been a part of my story over these previous 99 FKTs are now able to join in and be a part. Plus also some of the members who I've never met of this Bulgers community who either are like, hey, this is a benefit to me. I'll come join you for these peaks or I'll, I'll join you for this peak um, are now like, hey, I want to be a part of jumping in with you. So yeah, there's this, there's this social shared element to it. I've probably got a list of 20 different people almost at this point um, who are interested in being a part of it somehow, um, which is super cool. That's awesome. And I love that idea that you're going to be sharing this experience with other people. And, you know, like Jim and I talked about at the beginning of the show, you know, when kids are going to come back from summer break and you're going to see your students and they're going to be talking about what they did over the summer. I mean, how, how do you explain your adventures to your students and how do you weave those lessons that you're learning from this experience into how you teach them? That's a great question. It's complex. There's definitely an art to it. I mean, I teach kindergarten through sixth grade. That's such a huge like developmental gap across those ages but a recent lesson i taught comes to mind in in between games i i stopped them sat them down you know while they were catching their breath and i was like all right you know show and tell have you ever done it and you know of course they all raise their hands and it's like when was the last time you you did it and you know the older grades are like oh it's been a while like, why is that? They're like, well, you know, eventually they say a few different things, maybe COVID or uh, this or that, you know, teachers don't want us bringing our toys anymore because we're too old. And then the too old part comes out. I'm like, oh, well, you, you go to a, a car sales lot. What does the car salesman do? Well, they show you the car and then they tell you about it. And I'm like, oh, well, a teacher's teaching you something new. What do they do? Oh, they show you. And then I launched into it. I asked their permission, like, can I show you something I care about? And they're like, yeah, that's awesome. I'm like show and tell clearly adults do it too. And I pull out a picture of me climbing on Mount Thielsen here in Oregon, um, which if anybody has seen that mountain or hasn't seen it, uh, rather, it's almost like Dr. Seuss mountain. It's ridiculously pointy. Like you, you almost don't think it exists in real life. And so I have this photo of me climbing one of the faces 
of that with Diamond Lake in the background. And, you know, it's it, uh, the photo by itself kind of elicits like, a whoa. Um, <laughs> and so I pull this out and I'm like, here's me doing something I love. And I went on to talk about mountains, but then I went on also to talk about how, like you, if I were to, you know, I, I, I drew the, the illustration. If I were to snap my fingers and suddenly you were right here, what would you feel? And of course, instantly they're like scared or, you know, a few of them are like, it would be awesome. Um, but all of them are like scared. I'm like, yeah, do you think I'm scared? And they're like, no. And I'm like, actually I am. I am feeling fear even in this photo when this photo is being taken. I'm feeling a sense of fear. Fear is there to remind us when we're in a serious situation and being able to talk through sort of this different interpretation. And I compared fear to anger. And it's like adults talk to you all the time about making good decisions when you're feeling angry, right? And they're like, yeah, all the time. Like I'll do something silly on the playground because my friend makes me angry um, and then I'll be in trouble and I'll get talked to. Um, so it's like, well, we don't talk to you very much about how you can act and behave when you're feeling fear. They're like, no, it's like, well, that's something I think fear and anger are very much the same. We can choose who we are in the moments we experience them with practice. It's difficult. It takes training. You have to have intention and purpose, but you can practice and learn to manage and make smart decisions to be the person you want to be, regardless of what you're feeling. Um, and so drawing this huge lesson about mental strength and mental development out of something physical. And then also I was like, you know, one of the reasons I work, I keep my body strong and my mind strong is that when I see a mountain like this and I show him a photo, uh, looking up at Mount Thielsen, seeing like this crazy pointy spire. And I was like, when I see a mountain like that, or when, when most people see a mountain like that, they think, oh, I wonder what it would be like to stand on top of that. I wonder what it would be like to climb that. It's like, I tell them when I feel a sense of wonder, I keep myself strong. I keep my mind and my body strong so that I don't go, oh, I wonder what it's like to be on top, but that's too scary. Or I wonder what it's like to be on top, but that's too hard, right? And I, I point out like, you know, one of those is not knowing how to manage your mind. And the other of those is not being sure or confident in your body. And to be able to draw these lessons out of these physical spaces and uh, oftentimes with a lesson like that, the way I'll tie it up at the end is I'll, I'll, I'll remind them that I'm like them, right? It's like, I grew up in a small town. I grew up in Baker city, Oregon. Um, and I'm just some kid from some small town. And I'm like, here you are, you're a kid in a small town growing up. And I was that too. Here's a picture of me doing something I love in a beautiful place to such a degree that you look at the picture of me doing it and you go, wow. And I go, and then I follow that with, do you think you could do the same? And I, I indicate like, it's not necessarily mountains. Maybe for you, it's something else. But don't you think something similar is possible for you? And, you know, they're kind of like, yeah, I guess it is. I guess that is true. Um, and so, I mean, that's like one example of, of how I would integrate a, a lesson from, from the mountains into something like, tangible that they could wrap their minds around or like walk away going like, yeah, I can do, I can do more than yeah, what I, I mean, previously Your kids thought. must love that too, to see, uh, you know, you going out and for lack of a, you know, less, uh, less corny way to put it, chasing your dreams, inspiring them to do the same. 
So Jason, uh, by the time this, this interview, uh, is, you know, available to the public, by the time folks are listening to this, uh, you will be well embarked on your journey. But for those who want to follow along further, how can they keep track of you and see what you're up to throughout the summer? I'm integrating a, a live tracker map into my website, jasonhardrath.com. So that's a simple way. Basically, I'll be carrying a GPS device that will ping the satellites and upload to the map to show where I am in real time. On that same website, jasonhardrath.com, uh, should have some sort of updates as well there. Oh, he climbed these peaks. This is how he's feeling. Just short, short briefs. Then I'll be trying to put some some stuff on my social media, uh, Instagram and Twitter at Jason Hardrath. Yeah, I guess those would probably be be the easiest ways as well as I'm, I'm findable on Facebook and I believe stuff will be cool, loading cool. there well, as Jason, well. Thank you so much for coming on the show, carving out a few few minutes for us amid uh, a very, very busy schedule. So much appreciated, my man. Absolutely. This has been a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. Well, Jim, I don't know about you, but I am psyched to track Jason's progress to see how he does and to see if he's able to, man, bag all of these peaks in 50 days. That is quite that the is undertaking. quite the undertaking. And I'm, I'm hoping a couple of things for him. Of course, you know, to make it, it through his summer safely, uh, to have a great time and to catch, you know, some, some luck out there, mm-hmm. some good weather. You know, we talked during the show about just how amazing of an opportunity this is to go out and see some gorgeous country. I love uh, the North Cascades up in Washington more than most landscapes. I mean, it's one of my favorite places to to spend time. And I am sure I don't, I don't know the, the list, you know, top to bottom or whatever, but I'm sure a bunch of these peaks are up there and my gosh, what an awesome place to spend some time. I am super excited for him. I am so glad that people like Jason go on adventures like these so that the rest of us can live <laughs> vicariously through them. I will definitely, <laughs> Super yeah, definitely be tracking this one. And uh, I will say Jason is a very good follow on Instagram and posts a lot of fun stuff and uh, would, would highly recommend uh, following along and seeing how his journey progresses. Folks, until next time here on the show, you can watch our videos on the Oregonians YouTube channel, follow us on Instagram at Peak Northwest, and view all of our travel and outdoors coverage on OregonLive.com slash travel. Please leave us a rating or review if you enjoy the show. And if you want to support this podcast and our local journalism, please consider a subscription to Oregon Live. You can find details, of course, at OregonLive.com slash pod support. This episode of the show was produced by me, Jim Ryan, alongside Jamie Hale and Andrew Thien. Stay safe and happy travels, everyone. Until next time, we leave you with this 10 seconds of Zen.